All right. All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, basketball time in Tennessee time, rivalry time in Tennessee time. Just uh, just burnt my uh, tongue on some coffee time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio early on a Friday morning. Hope you all are having a good Friday morning out there, unless, of course, it's Friday afternoon or Friday evening, Saturday morning. Perhaps it's Saturday afternoon and you're in your car on the way to Thompson Bowling Arena to see the 19th-ranked Tennessee Volunteers face the 13th-ranked Memphis Tigers, 3 p.m. Eastern tip time there on ESPN. Certainly a, a lot going on for both teams. Everyone remembers all that nonsense from, from last year and the things that Penny Hardaway said that were pretty silly and not true, and then Rick Barnes kind of taking the bait and making some jokes the next day, and then... Penny Hardaway after that telling Rick Barnes basically to uh, get the F out of here. Lots and lots of stuff going on there between Memphis and Tennessee as per usual. And I I thought, you know, Tennessee, this is like a nine-day break without games. It's going to end when Tennessee plays on Saturday. It's going to be a seven-day break for Memphis. Uh, There's been no football practice either because there's – you know, the coaches have been on the road recruiting. They'll probably get ball practice started here in the next couple days or so. Uh, But – it's been kind of a lull a little bit, so I thought we'd mix it up. And we did our regular Monday and Thursday morning podcasts, and we also had a couple of breaking news podcasts. So you can go back and listen to those. Tennessee picked up a couple of football commitments this week. Uh, but I wanted to change things up a little bit. The third segment, or I guess maybe it's technically the fourth segment, the final segment of this episode will be me doing the regular questions that we normally do at the end of Thursday's episode. Uh, but the first two segments are something a little bit different. I, I spoke over the uh, the magic of Al Gore's internets, as always, with Christian Fowler, who covers Memphis and does a very good job covering Memphis for 24-7 Sports Memphis site, which is Go Tigers 24-7. There, there's tons of good stuff there, and, and really he's been a busy guy lately because he has to cover football and basketball, and there's a football coaching search going on uh, while they're getting ready to play in one of the biggest bowl games in Memphis history, if not the biggest. Uh, and then there's a basketball team that's ranked and had a – players suspended and other players hurt and but they still got a bunch of those stud freshmen from that class so Christian's been a busy guy these days so I was really appreciative uh, of him to take a good whatever 40 minutes or 45 minutes whatever it was to sit down and talk about the Tennessee Memphis game the Tennessee Memphis rivalry from Memphis's side because I think there's so much distance physically between these two places uh, that sometimes messages kind of get lost in the shuffle like you play that game of telephone and by the time it gets from one side of the state to the other things are a little bit different so I thought it would be interesting to hear his perspective as a guy who covers Memphis uh, does a pretty darn good job, I think, doing it objectively. And and, and he mentions uh, some pros and some cons, and he mentions the series, uh, the rivalry, the heated stuff from last year, the future of the series. He mentions all of that from the Memphis side, which I think is important because if you know the Tennessee side, you know half the story, uh, but you maybe don't know the entire story. If you listen to Christian here, I think you, you might hear some stuff from Memphis's point of view. Uh, you might agree with it, you might not, but it's important to hear it nonetheless, right? And this is a big game. It's a huge game for both teams. So I thought 
I'd do something that we should do more often, frankly, which is go speak to someone who covers the other team uh, about what's going on there. So we're going to step away quickly, going to pay some bills, listen to some, some in-house ads, uh, some, some products, some services, all those fun things. And then we're going to come back from that break, and it's going to be me speaking with Christian Fowler from Go Tigers 24-7 about Saturday's game between Tennessee and Memphis. Hashtag ad. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you may or may not have heard just a second ago during that commercial break. As always, you're not uh, contractually, ethically spiritually, morally obligated to go back and listen to those commercials. Uh, you can always hit the fast forward button. But for those people who do listen to those commercials, we appreciate that. That helps us out at CBS Sports, helps us out at 24-7 Sports, helps us out at Go Balls 24-7, and uh, just be in the holiday spirit. Throw us a bone. As promised, guys, joined here by uh, Christian Fowler, who covers uh, Memphis for our 24-7 site there on the Memphis Network, the lead writer, I believe, at, at the Memphis 24-7 site. Christian, how you doing today, man? I'm doing wonderful, Wes. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I guess was lead writer the best way to uh, introduce you? Because I introduced you that way. So if you're not the lead writer and somebody else is, you can say that. But I'm pretty sure you are, right? Yeah, lead, lead and only only writer on the site. There you go. So you're the best and worst writer on the site, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, Christian, I know we really appreciate your time today because I know that that it's uh, there's a lot going on right now at Memphis. There's you know the one of the biggest basketball games, if not if not the biggest basketball game of the season coming up for the Tigers and then you've got the uh, you know the, obviously the the deal with the football coaching search and all that going on while getting ready for a huge bowl game so so there's a ton a ton going on right now at Memphis so I definitely appreciate your time uh, but you know what with all that stuff going on um, nothing's really going to take the Tennessee Memphis basketball game from from near the or at least near the top of the list right no absolutely I mean despite the coaching search and Mike Novell leaving from Florida State and the football program headed to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, this game is still the centerpiece of this week, at least. I mean, Memphis UT, as you guys know, and as all the fans know, is a huge regional rivalry between these two teams. We saw it renewed last year and all the drama that followed, obviously, is making an even bigger matchup going into this season. So, so yeah, Memphis, Memphis fans are extremely hyped up for this matchup, despite everything going on inside the program right now. I guess, uh, you know, if, if, for Tennessee fans who live in Shelby County, I, I think that I, I, I understand certainly where, where they're coming from. But I think if you're a Tennessee fan and you're not from Shelby County, if you're a Tennessee fan not from West Tennessee, you probably don't really understand uh, what Memphis's list of grievances would be for this situation because you tend to see things only through uh, the prism of what Tennessee says or, or what Tennessee is reporting in the media. And, and there's always two sides to every single story. And it's interesting because my brother actually uh, lives in Memphis. And uh, so he's surrounded by all this. So he hears it from both sides all the time. And basically, if you could list like what Memphis's issues with Tennessee are, what would you say? Are you speaking as, as a whole or just from uh, what happened last year in the game? Uh, both. Go ahead. Uh, knock yourself well, out of the park here. 
Well, I think it's it's really when you when you pull it down. Obviously, Tennessee is in the SEC. They're a big Power Five program, a storied program. And then when you, when you look at Memphis, uh, it's not in the Power Five group of five school. So as Tennessee and Memphis fans mix, especially in this this area in the Shelby County area and the suburban areas surrounding. Uh, Tennessee fans always tend to say that Memphis is a little brother and that is not important as, it, as Tennessee is. And if you know how much pride that Memphis fans take in the basketball and football programs, uh, that tends to fire them up. It tends to anger them. So I think that's the biggest thing is just, is just feeling like the little brother or being called the little brother. Um, and Tennessee fans saying that, you know, obviously Tennessee is the bigger and better school. So I think that's where the chip on the shoulder from the Memphis fans comes really when it comes to Tennessee. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people also sort of at the academic level, uh, full disclosure, my wife works at the university of Tennessee, not in athletics. She works in academics. Uh, but, but I know that, that there, and I also have a, a mother who is the Dean of a college in UT's board of regents. So that that would be one of the, the non university of Tennessee schools in the state system, like Memphis and, and some of those schools. She, she's a, a Dean at one of those schools. So I understand it from both sides. I, I know that, that when it comes down to money from Nashville, I know uh, majority of it goes to the university of Tennessee in Knoxville. And I, I know that schools in the board of regents and schools in other places like Memphis, uh, they don't appreciate what they view as getting the, the small end of the stick there too. Uh, because Tennessee's, you know, sort of taken a lot of pride in trying to bring up its public education and the University of Tennessee's technically the flagship school of the state. So they want it to be ranked as high academically as it can be uh, because that looks good for the state. So they get a bunch of the money and things like that. And then uh, schools like Memphis and you know, other places, you go, what, what about us? So there's a little bit of vitriol that comes from that too. Uh, and also everyone knows that in this state, right? I mean, it's it's one state at the end of the day, the state has each other's backs, but at the end of the day, it's kind of three states in one. Uh, you've got East Tennessee with kind of the capital city of Knoxville, and then Chattanooga is the, as the second city. Uh, you've got you know the mid-state where Nashville is the capital, and then you got West Tennessee where Memphis is the capital, and that's why there's three stars on the flag. And and there's different kinds of people in these places, you know, different historically, go back 100, 200 years. Uh, there's just differences of opinion on several things between these people. So. I don't think Memphis quite hates Knoxville the way it hates Nashville, uh, if I if I uh, understand that correctly. But there's definitely not a lot of love there. No, it's de- if you're talking about the city specifically. No, there's definitely more hate from Memphis towards Nashville than Knoxville. Really, the only negatives you'll hear about Knoxville from Memphis fans are the University of Tennessee. Outside of that, city-wise, the beef definitely comes with Nashville. But I mean, I think it's a very interesting point that you mentioned because. Obviously, I'm, you know, I've never lived outside of this region, but to see a state have that much separation, like you said, as far as just the people that are in it is, is absolutely crazy. And most people around here are, you know, they, they consider Memphis its own state. And that's, that's, how, that's how much pride people take in Memphis. So it, it is very uh, different and rare to see, you know, the Memphis, Nashville, and Knoxville, the way that they kind of separate themselves. But it's it's definitely the way it is in Tennessee. Yeah, I'm one of those weird people from Knoxville who just absolutely loves Memphis. I have a great time every time I go. Uh, I love that my brother lives there. I wish he lived closer uh, to me because we're brothers and we like to hang out and play golf and stuff. But uh, you know, I'm I'm happy that he's there. He he does a he, he's got a nice job with a good company over there and he's doing good things. Um, but you know, it, it, it's like, so I'm one of the few people 
around Knoxville who's like, man, I, I, I like Memphis. I, I have a good time every time I go. I'm not going to pick between Nashville and Memphis. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I don't mind the Titans. I like the Grizzlies, you know. I like the Preds. I uh, I like I have a good time in both places. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. Uh, but I do call Memphis a city state because Memphis has a way of standing up for its own in a way that has always really impressed me. And, and I think a lot of it is because Memphis kind of feels left out. You know, you you hear people in, in the mid-state and, and, and east part of the state regions say things like, you know, just going to Arkansas or going to Mississippi, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then you look at things like, you know, uh, the fact that Tennessee's playing a bowl game against Indiana. And, and if you leave Tennessee's campus, you would get to IU's campus before you got to Memphis's campus. You know, that that's, sounds crazy because you're crossing two states to do that, but that's the way it is. Um, but I, I go back to, to some of the stuff that Philip Fulmer used to say. You know, when Philip Fulmer was asked why he cared so much about, you know, Alabama, uh, which was cheating in Memphis at the time, why he cared so much about it, and he said, what comes after the comma in Memphis? Tennessee. That's why I care about it. And, and so uh, there's a lot of – so much back and forth between these places historically. But in terms of, of sort of where things are now, do you think that that – that the Penny Hardaway stuff last season – was some of that stuff maybe him being a first-year coach? Was some of it just him being a guy who wants to prove he's going to stick up for his guys? Or, or what went into sort of his his just just fury at, at, at Rick Barnes and at Tennessee? And maybe fury is not the best word, but it seems like it is because he seemed to get really, really mad about that stuff. Well, I think – was it surprising to hear what he said specifically? Yes, because, I mean, you typically don't hear coaches – say things like that. But, you know, from the first day that Penny was introduced as head coach and, you know, we, I've obviously been in just about every press conference he's had since then. The first thing I think a lot of the media here learned is that he's going to be candid and transparent and you're going to know the way that Penny Hardaway's feeling. And obviously I think he's pulled back on a little bit since that because he realized he couldn't have let his emotions get out in that way. But I mean, he's still transparent. He's still candid. You can still you know, feel his emotion in press conferences and what he's thinking. And he's going to tell you pretty straight up. Uh, so I think that's the first layer of it. And then the second layer of it is really just that, like you said, he, he's going to stick, stick up for his players. And that's something that he wanted to prove early. Uh, that was obviously fairly early in the season last year and first year head coach. Uh, he's going to prove that he wants to stick up for his guys. That's just, that's just really who Penny Hardaway is. He's, um, he's going to stand up. He's not, he's not the type of person to shy down and be quiet in a situation. Uh, he's going to speak his mind. He's going to stand up for his players and show that he's always got their back. So I think that is really the biggest part of it and, and why it kind of escalated to that point is because he just he, he was making a point. I don't think he was trying to make a point, but he did because it's just it's just him. That's just Penny Hardaway. Yeah, and, I, and I know that the, the, when he said, you know, get the F out of here, Rick Barnes, that was because Rick responded to Penny's initial comments by having a couple of sort of backhanded joke remarks during his coach's show you know, talking about asking asking Bob Kessling, the voice of the Vols, if he and Memphis's guy were going to get in a fight and had balled up fists, and and you know he kind of egged it on there, and that that part of it's on Rick, but uh, you know, I, I here, here's where I've been on this whole thing. I loved when Memphis hired Penny Hardaway because I've always been a guy who believes that kind of rising tides lift all boats, and I I've always been a big proponent of college basketball in the state of Tennessee 
because I think it is underappreciated to a ridiculous level on the national scene. Everyone knows you've got the beast in the West in, in Memphis, and you've got the beast in the East in Tennessee, uh, but you've also got Vanderbilt there in the, middle, in the middle of the state as an SEC program, and then you've got all those mid-major and low-major programs that are either in the NCAA tournament or fighting for an NCAA tournament spot basically every year. And this state just doesn't get enough credit for that for how many good really good division one basketball programs are in this state and i think if uh if penny hardaway's at memphis and and memphis is doing what it should do as a program and tennessee's operating at the level it should be operating at as a program and then vanderbilt gets things turned around in a better place under stackhouse all of a sudden you get more eyeballs on the state of tennessee and then it you know then you've still got belmont and lipscomb and chattanooga east tennessee state with forbes and shea and those guys there's so much good basketball in the state so i am a major proponent of Penny Hardaway being in Memphis because I think he can win there uh, if he learns a few important lessons. And, and uh, well, that, that with that said, what disappointed me last year was the things he said about Alex Lomax. You know, Memphis is one of those places where we still get you know courtside seats. Uh, Thompson Bowling, it's kind of underneath the basket now. In other arenas, it's kind of you know halfway up near you know near the top of the rafters, being moved around for for you know booster seats and things like that. But Memphis, you're still right there courtside. So we were there for the entire game. And Alex Lomax was no different from any other player in that court, which means he was running his mouth the entire game. Basically, every player except maybe Kyle Alexander was running his mouth the entire game. That's just what they do. And so I thought that was a little bit disingenuous to say that. And then the balled-up fist comment, I did not see anything remotely like that. I went back and watched film tried to find it because I tried to give Penny the benefit of the doubt and say, man, why would he make something like that up? I never saw it. Uh, and I saw Lomax kind of going at bone a couple of times. So I, to me, that that was so frustrating because I wonder if because Rick Barnes and, and Tennessee's players were noting how often Memphis players were trying to flop and draw charges, did that maybe get under Penny's skin a little bit? Is that what angered him? Oh, I mean, I know when uh, when Rick Barnes made that comment, that definitely that definitely fired him up because he, you know, I, I don't think any coach goes out of their way to teach players to flop, and and when that was said, that, that really triggered Penny. He did, you know, he obviously didn't want that label. And once again, like I was saying earlier, when you're a first year head coach and no one knows what you're going to be, uh, he definitely didn't want that to be the narrative. He definitely yeah. didn't want people saying that he was a coach that was teaching his players to flop. Uh, just to draw fouls and to get the ball back and to create extra possessions. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that was a big part of it. And it was, I mean, it was a, it was a situation that was, I, I guess, unfortunate overall as a whole, because you had on the court almost a fight breakout, but at the end of the day, that's just, that is what it is to me. Like I, I've always been a guy that, that loves passion in a game. And sometimes it gets to that point. Now, fortunately it didn't come to you know, punches thrown or anything like that, because that's when it gets ugly. But as far as just a little uh, trash talking and going back and forth and, you know, that's, that's what these, like you said, that's what these guys do. I mean, they, they are, a lot of them are in on the mental side of the game, trying to get a mental edge. And, and that's part of it. I mean, you see the greatest players in the history of sports at each level, you know, tend to tend to talk a little bit of trash. So I, I mean, I'm all for it. I, I don't, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me that, that players can get fired up and that, stuff can come close to, to breaking out because, I mean, I think it's just if you've played sports and you understand the game of sports and exactly. you're around it, exactly. you, get the pa- you get the passion that comes with it. And sometimes things like that happen. So I, I think at this point it is what it is. I think both teams have watched it. Uh, I think I think Tennessee obviously watched it really quickly, especially Rick Barnes, like you said, was, was joking about it the next day on the coaches show. So 
he washed it really quickly. Uh, Penny had his little thing where, where he got aggravated and then kind of washed it after that and, and really doesn't want to talk about it anymore. And I don't blame them for that because this is a year later. It happened. It was just a heat of the moment, passion of the game. And, and here we are a year later. I'm going to play as rivals and see how it plays out. Yeah, one more question here before we're going to take a break and then come back and talk about the game itself because I think that this conversation, it's almost kind of two separate conversations, right? You talk about all the BS and then you talk about the game itself. So the last question when we're talking about something that's not related to this game is this. I tend to look at basketball contracts and football contracts as kind of relationships. Uh, And by that, I mean, if one side wants out, it doesn't matter what the other side wants because it's probably going to end. And I've always gotten the impression that that Rick Barnes, I don't think he'll ever come out and say this publicly, but I think after kind of Penny lashed out at him that way last season, I think in Rick Barnes' mind, he kind of moved on from this series. So he's going to play it this year. He's going to play the game next year in Nashville. And then I think unless something drastic changes, I think he has no interest in renewing that series for a while. Uh, Hypothetically, though, where do you think things are from Memphis' standpoint because I know that this game is one that I think should be played. I think it should be played every year. I think neither program needs it, per se, but I think it's. I think they should do it. I think they owe it to the state of Tennessee, to the basketball culture in Tennessee, to play each other every year. Uh, but that's just my opinion, and I know that, that Rick Barnes right now is probably leaning toward not playing this game uh, in the future, at least for a little bit until things cool down. What w- would, would Penny Hardaway be a guy who wants to play this game every year? Because I know this was originally a deal made when Tubby was the coach. So, so what's Penny's take on the thing? Oh, he, I mean, he absolutely wants it renewed. He's been asked about it at least four or five times uh, since the game last year. And every time he's, he's been pretty straightforward with it and, you know, kind of said, I understand what happened last year, but I would love to play Tennessee. He is Penny Hardaway is huge on regional rivals and, and playing, playing those types of teams. Cause you, you know, think of a guy from Memphis played at the university of Memphis when he was playing, they were playing a lot more regional rivals and, and regional games and he's prioritized that since coming in. So, I mean, from everything that he said and from the way that he's done scheduling, I think he's extremely open to it. I think he wants to do it. And like you mentioned, I think this is a robbery that's that's good for both teams. It's not ne- it's not necessary. I mean, they don't have to play each other. Uh, it's not going to be a huge benefit if they do, or it's not going to hurt if they don't. Uh, but for the fan bases, I mean, it, it at the end of the day, I know there's hatred. But these two teams and these two fan bases love going at each other. I mean, it and, and it can get ugly, obviously, but that's the way it is with any rivalry. So I think it's good for the two programs to have this game. Uh, it, it has that regional feel. It has, it has a different type of rivalry feel. I mean, it, even though uh, Memphis and Knoxville are six and a half, seven hours away, it's just like every time this game comes around, both fan bases are in each other's face and ready, ready to go. And I think that's what makes college sports great is rivalries and, and having games like this. So hopefully when we get down the road two years or next year when that uh, when that game in Nashville, the neutral site games happens, hopefully all this is blown over enough where, where Rick Barnes is uh, more forward with the idea of wanting to renew it because I think it is good for both programs. But we will uh, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, and I know uh, it's especially good for Memphis, I know, because uh, you know the American sometimes is good and sometimes isn't very good. It just kind of depends. I know it's it just kind of is what it is until Memphis can maybe try to get its way into a bigger one of those power conferences. And and so getting a game like Tennessee, kind of a, a good good kind of intersectional kind of big game like that, uh, I think that can also help the Tigers when it comes to postseason time too. I, I think it's just now now don't get me wrong. 
when Penny's your coach, they've proved that they can go play a lot of people. Just like when Rick Barnes came to Tennessee, guess what? They had home and homes with North Carolina, home and homes uh, with Gonzaga, essentially playing in Seattle and then playing in Nashville. Uh, now they've got Wisconsin for a home and home, you know, Cincinnati. They got some ones on the West Coast, other ones they're talking about. They're in those big holiday tournaments every year. Uh, it's the same thing. Uh, in Memphis with Penny Hardaway you know Penny gets there all of a sudden they're starting to get back to playing some of those big marquee kind of games that they played when Calipari was there Christian so it's not like either program needs it necessarily but but it's something that's good to have right yeah absolutely I mean it's just like I mentioned earlier it's just a good rivalry uh it's just a fun game every time the two teams meet and um and and you mentioned something interesting about you know sometimes the American being uh, a little bit weaker and needing a game like that. I mean, you look at Memphis's strength of schedule this season, and it, it's not very high. So having having a top twenty-five team like Tennessee and being able to schedule a team like Oregon uh, is definitely big for this program. So I think it. I think at the end of the day, like you said, it's not necessary. It doesn't have to happen. Uh, but it, but there is a, a bit of a benefit for playing this game, and and I think. I mean, personally, I hope it's something that that continues after the neutral site game in Nashville next year. You and me both, buddy. Maybe we can go protest on uh, over the weekend. We'll, we'll just have pro- we'll have protest signs outside the arena. We'll do that. Before we do <laughs> that, do though, before we do that, though, we're gonna take a quick break. We're we're gonna come back. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the actual game itself. We we got all the the BS and all that stuff out of the way. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna pay some bills, listen to some products, ads, in-house services. You know, good things, in-house ads, product services. It's the holiday season, right? You never know what you might hear. You might hear the greatest holiday gift ever on this commercial break now. Or you might hear about another one of the CBS family of podcasts. Either way, either way, you're going to hear something good. And uh, we'll be back in just one second to talk about the actual game itself, the actual game between Tennessee and Memphis on Saturday. Hashtag ad. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, in-house ads you may or may not have heard during that commercial break. As always, you're not contractually, morally, ethically, spiritually obligated to listen to those commercials, but we appreciate the people who take the time to do that. You know, it helps us at CBS Sports, it helps us at 24-7 Sports, helps us with Go Balls 24-7, and it might even help yourself too. You never know what you might hear. You know, I tell people all the time, if you don't know what to get your your family member, you got somebody for, for Christmas and you're like, ah, I don't know what to get them. Here's what you can do. You can buy yourself a year of GoVoss 24-7 or Memphis's 24-7 site. You can also go buy that if you're a Memphis fan listening to this. And you can buy that for yourself. And then as long as you pay for it, you get free access for like in perpetuity to CBS All Access. And that means you get every TV show in the CBS catalog. That means you get every uh, movie in the CBS catalog. They, they refresh the movies with different non-CBS movies every month. Uh, you get live college football, you know, live SEC football, live NFL football, the NCAA tournament. Starting next year, I believe you'll have the UEFA Champions League. 
uh, you get the you know some World Series of Poker type events. You get um, a bunch of podcasts too. You get all that, and the only commercials you'll ever see are for live things. Anything that you watch on demand, zero commercials. That's worth $100 annually, and you can give that to somebody for free. They'll think you gave them a $100 gift, and what you really spent was nothing because you bought yourself a subscription to GoVoss 24-7 or to Memphis's 24-7 site. Either way, I just saved your holiday season, so you're welcome. It's the best idea you've heard this holiday season. Admit it. Amazon's got nothing on that. I'm telling you, nothing on that. Back to the action, uh, joined as always. I don't want to say joined as always, but joined as always in this podcast, certainly, uh, with Christian Fowler from our 24-7 sports site there for Memphis. Does a great job covering the Tigers football, basketball, all that stuff. And before we get to uh, to basketball, I do want to ask one question about Memphis football because obviously Mike, Mike Norvell has taken his hilarious former haircut down to Tallahassee to coach the Florida State Seminoles and take over for Willie Taggart, try to kind of put that mess back together that, that's been the past few years in the making. Uh, and that certainly left Memphis without a coach, and Memphis is getting ready to play in one of the bigger games it's ever played in. So what's the deal there? Uh, who might coach Memphis uh, for the bowl game, and, and who might be the long-term fit there? Is that not the best haircut ever, though? <laughs> I no, think no it's pretty great. It's pretty great. That picture is going to follow him until the day he dies, 100%. That's going to be the Butch Jones band picture of haircuts. Absolutely. Um, but, no, there's as of right now, uh, Ryan Silverfield's been named interim head coach, and he is expected to coach in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, the athletic department's doing their due diligence right now and, and checking out multiple candidates. Um, if, you've, if you are a Memphis fan or if you paid attention to this coaching search at all, you've seen a massive amount of support for Ryan Silverfield from fans, former players, current players, uh, commits. I mean, it's been it's been incredible, and I knew the respect that Ryan Silverfield had inside of this program. Obviously, before this situation happened, because he's been here for four years, uh, he's really helped this offense go to the next level with Mike Norvell. But I did not expect this type of reaction. I mean, it is it has been incredible. Uh, I actually spoke to Coach Silverfield the other night on a podcast that we did, and even he was blown away by the support that he's gotten. Um, and there are some other candidates that are, that have popped up. Uh, Chip Long, Notre Dame offensive coordinator. Uh, who was at Memphis for one season in 2016 as the OC? Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry Odom, who just was released from Missouri, uh, the only the only collegiate job he's ever had other than Missouri was at Memphis in 2015 as a defensive coordinator. So yeah, he's a defensive guy though. Wouldn't that be weird for Memphis? Yeah, and that, that's really been the the census from the fans, the consensus from the fans and and media alike is that it just it really doesn't make sense. Uh, I I don't think Barry Odom had a terrible tenure at Missouri, but I mean that's a team that that won two SEC East championships before he came uh, and really kind of disappeared once he got there. Best season was last year, eight and five, um, lost both the bowl games he's been in, and he's a defensive-minded guy on top of that. So the fit doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. I mean, I think we knew from the beginning he was going to be linked to the job because of his ties to the program. Uh, But as far as fit, I think Chip Long and Ryan Silverfield obviously make a lot more sense because they are offensive-minded guys. Uh, Chip Long was under Norvell for a year. Uh, and then Ryan Silverfield's been there for four years and, and really knows the program better than anybody else. So um, Barry Odom could be the guy at, at the end of the day, but I just think Chip Long or Ryan Silverfield seem to make a lot more sense there. Yeah, maybe maybe if they could afford to bring Dooley with him as the offensive coordinator, because we've seen that when Dooley had Drew Locke there at Mizzou and they had healthy guys, 
they were able to put up a ton of points, and his Louisiana Tech offense has put up a ton of points. So maybe if Memphis had that kind of budget, they could do that. I'm not really sure what their situation is there or what their boosters are willing to do. Um, you know, in other words, what's FedEx and some others willing to do? Um, right. But, but, you know, I mean, I think you look at it, and I think an offensive guy – makes sense for that program. I mean, if you're Memphis, what you want is you want butts in the seats, right? You want to win games first and foremost, but also second, not far behind it is you want to put butts in the seats. And, you know, if you're not going to be a power conference team, you want to be exciting. That helps get attention. You know, that helps people that are sitting there in Memphis going, am I just going to sit around and watch all the games, including Memphis and Tennessee on TV today? Or do I want to go to the Liberty Bowl? And if you want to go to the bowl, you want to see some action and you want to see some points. And that's what they've been doing the past couple of years is they've been, they've played really entertaining football. So I, I, I hope that they stay down that path because I think that works for them. You know, it just seems to me from the outside looking in that I'm not saying it's like some sort of circus act or anything, but I think that that's a fan base that's proved when you score a bunch of points, they're going to be more happy, more excited to go to games. Yeah, I think a philosophy change could really, really be detrimental to the team right now. And, and that's not saying that Barry Odom couldn't bring in a good offensive coordinator and, and keep the offense rolling, but I, I feel like you know what you have more if you bring in a Chip Long who's had he had a successful offense a year he's at Memphis and has had successful offenses uh, with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Uh, and Ryan Silverfield has really been a disciple under Norvell, has has contributed to a lot of success. I mean, a lot of people look at it as he's an offensive line coach, uh, but he's been offensive line coach, run, run game coordinator for two years, and he added deputy head coach to his title going into this season. So he's he's been a guy behind the scenes that has had a lot to do with the operation, and, and the philosophy would stay a lot of the same from Norvell, and that's been his big message is continuing what we've been doing, you know, not changing anything, uh, too much, too drastically, but doing what we've been doing. And I, I think that obviously just makes more sense than, than a bit of a philosophy change that it would be with a defensive-minded guy. Getting over to the to the basketball, Christian, I know that, that you know everyone knows that Memphis is playing this game without James Wiseman. Uh, Tennessee, of course, I don't know how many people know this, is also playing without its big man in the middle because uh, Uros Plavsic has still not been cleared by the NCAA, so the seven foot one Serbian is out indefinitely still, might be out this entire season. I think that's what Tennessee's having to plan for now. They hope to get good news, but don't necessarily expect it. Uh, and I tell you, uh, I've seen Wiseman play a couple times when he was younger, and, and I saw him play a little bit earlier from Memphis this season. And I watched Plavsic, you know, practice all the time. And that would have been such a fun matchup uh, because Wiseman's certainly a little bit more athletic, but, but you know, Plavsic isn't a stiff. And, and he's a guy who at seven foot one can run the floor, can block shots, can kind of command things on the back line, protect the rim. That would have been one of the best matchups of seven-footers college basketball had to offer this entire season. Uh, and now that won't happen because neither of them will be involved. And, and obviously there's another incident there with Memphis or they've got an injury situation too. So so what's the latest there? Uh, is the other uh, freshman stud going to be able to play? I know Precious at you was fine, but uh, I believe Lester's been hurt too. So what's the latest on Memphis health-wise going into this game? Yeah, so obviously like you mentioned, James Wiseman's still out there January 12th and I think everyone's seen the reaction to that, especially people in Memphis. Actually, I mean, at this point nationwide, I mean, everybody's kind of kind of thrown their two cents in on that. But, uh, yeah, Lester Quinones is, is still expected to be out. He's still got another week or so uh, before he's expected to be able to get back in the rotation. Um, that was an injury that occurred against Ole Miss, a broken hand, broke a couple bones in his hand. And, uh, I mean, that's people expect that to be a, a huge blow to this team. And I'm not going to say it, it hasn't been, but Memphis has had a lot of players step up and, and kind of fill that role that he was, that he was playing because he, he is a guard by trade, but was playing at the three more. 
Um, and, and it was really kind of a hybrid between, between the two and the three, but, um, that was where he was starting was at the small forward spot. So, uh, Penny's had to get real creative with the rosters. I mean, you're obviously missing two of the best players on your team, two starters on your team. Uh, but I think at the same time, it's allowed some guys that, that weren't playing as well in the beginning of the season to step up. When you look at Boogie Ellis, who's been much better as of late since the, since the Thanksgiving day game against NC state, he's looked awesome. Uh, Alex Lomax, sophomore guard, that really a lot of people forgot about because of the freshman class coming in. And I really think he's been the glue that's held that backcourt together. I, I love Lomax as a player. Oh, I mean, it, it, to me, like even last year when he was struggling, I, I would tell people all the time, that is the type of player that I love. The guy that's going to go put everything on the line, is going to get the hustle points, uh, is going to be gritty and tough, and he's going to be the guy diving on the floor with everybody. Uh, he's he's become a leader for this team, which I think is huge. Reminds me, team. It reminds me a lot of Lamonte Turner, actually. Yes, that definitely. Way. That yeah, he definitely does. And he's uh and like I said, he's held the team together. He's been a leader because a team like this that's freshman laden and and almost all freshmen need somebody, even if it is a sophomore, to step up and kind of take that role. And he's done that even more in the past few games. So. Uh, it, it's unfortunate what happened to Lester, and, and fortunately he will be back, but it's also allowed guys to step up and, and kind of take on new roles and, and help build this team and put them together. How much more uh, are they having to rely on Achua without Wiseman out there? Because I, I watch games and I, I can see how much they're relying on Achua in, in some games, not all of them, but, it, but in a lot of the games. How much more is on his plate now because of Wiseman's absence? I mean, it was, it was, it was expected to be the one-two punch, right? I mean, it was expected to be Wiseman, and Precious and Chiwa kind of feeding off of that and being able to pick on uh, smaller smaller guys because Wiseman's drawing double teams from the front court. And it hasn't been that, obviously, now. So Precious and Chiwa's really had to adapt to that uh, because, uh, as you mentioned, he has a lot on his plate now. I mean, he has to be the leader of that front court on both ends of the floor. And, and you know, for a, for a freshman that wasn't expecting to have this role, I mean, he was obviously expecting to have a big role, uh, but to be the guy in the front court, I think he's handled it very well. I think even when he's been off offensively, because he's had a couple games over the past few where he hasn't been as efficient offensively, that he's been able to impact the game in other ways. And I think that is what is so important about him. Uh, and this actually happened a couple a couple games ago. He was terrible from the floor, only finished with five or six points, but he had 14 rebounds and five blocks. And when you are the focal point of the front court, those are the things that you have to do. Uh, to still impact the game because just because you're off offensively uh, doesn't mean that you're still not a key part of that team and that you can't do things to uh, to make a positive impact. So I think he's found a way, uh, regardless of what's going on in the game, regardless of the game flow, regardless of how defenses are playing him, I think he's found a way to make an impact. And, and that's really all you can ask for from a freshman because it's not always going to be perfect. But as long as he's going out there and, and making plays and protecting the rim – and and doing things that you're expecting of him because of Wiseman being out, that's he's done a he's done an incredible job up to this point. Does Memphis tend to play him like what positions when you're talking one through five? What spots on the floor do they start him at and play him at usually? Well, he starts at the four, and I think that is I think that's been the biggest key because in the exhibition games, Wiseman was out due to injury, and Penny started him at the five, and it just didn't look comfortable. Uh, he really wouldn't get out of the paint when he was playing the five. So when when Wiseman's suspension was announced, the first thing Penny said was, you know, I'm leaving Precious at his natural position, letting him play the four, uh, and then rotating guys like Lance Thomas and Isaiah Maurice in at the five, uh, Malcolm Dandridge as well, who's coming off injury and, and uh, 
this will be his third collegiate game actually so he just started playing but you know having those bodies having those big bodies that can play the five and allow precious to play the four has been huge because it allows him to be more comfortable now there still are times when he will play the five in a small ball lineup but I think he's more comfortable with that because when that when they're in that small lineup, they're trying to run the floor, they're trying to get up and down the floor, so it fits his style better. But uh, typically, he will be playing the four, which which is his natural position. And that's interesting because I, I think this game he might play a little more five than usual. And I say that because if he's at the four, that means Eve's pond, Eve Pons is on him, and and as strong as uh, Achua is, and he really is, Pons is kind of a freak of nature. And he will bang on him. He will. He'll. He's. He's just as quick as Precious is, even though he gives up a couple inches. Uh, but if if Achua plays the five, he doesn't have his. He won't have it easy against John Fulkerson, who's a who's a good defender and a guy who just is a constant nuisance on ball screens. And he's a really smart defender and he's tough. You know, all arms and legs coming at you. Uh, I think that might be a better matchup for Memphis when when he's going against Fulkerson. So. That'll be interesting to see that that battle. Uh, and what about in the backcourt? We all know that that Tennessee is going to play uh, ninety four feet on de- you know man to man defense on everybody. They're gonna they're gonna whoever gets the ball is getting hounded from the time he inbounds it until the time it, that that he gets down the court. I mean he's just that's that's how Tennessee plays the game. Uh, so that means that you're going to see a lot of. Uh, different guys. You're going to see little Lamonte Turner. You're going to see kind of midsize Jordan Bowden. You're going to see big size Josiah Jordan James. They're going to be hounding the ball pretty much for the entire game. How is Memphis um, equipped to handle that? Yeah, well, we. I mean, we spoke about this on our podcast earlier this week, and this is where Memphis's young guards really have to grow up because, like you mentioned, Jordan Bowden, Lamonte Turner, very, very experienced players. They know what they're doing out there. They can pick a defense apart. Uh, that's why that's why Tennessee plays such a not, not a super slow style, but they play at a pace because those guys are so good and so experienced that they can read defenses and pick defenses apart. Pick yeah, their yeah, spots. They, they, yeah, they either try to shoot in the first seven seconds of a shot clock or, or hold it till later and make it work. Right. So, you know, with guys like Alex Lomax, who's a dog on defense and and Damian Ball, who's known for his defense, but hasn't been, been able to make as big of an impact this year because he's gotten into early foul trouble or Boogie Ellis, who isn't known for his defense, but has been better than expected this year. Uh, those three guys are huge in this game because they have to uh, they have to kind of diagnose that early. I think they have to be aggressive going after the ball uh, because Tennessee has turned the ball over a little bit this year. So that is that is somewhere where Memphis can attack. If they can attack the ball uh, and get the ball out of their hands and, and, and try to force them into traps and try to force steals and try to force turnovers, uh, then that that's really the only way that they can impact the game as far as the backcourt goes because Tennessee has the experience there uh, by a mile. I mean, Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden are both great players that have been at Tennessee for a while now. They know exactly what they want to do. Uh, I think they come into a great mindset with every game and play their game, and they typically don't get thrown off of that. So Memphis has to, especially Memphis's backcourt, has to, as early as they can in the game, try to get those guys uncomfortable and throw them off a little bit. Uh, do you think or do you expect Penny Hardaway to to shorten that bench at all in this game? Because I know that on one hand, uh, you know, Tennessee plays, you know, just seven, eight guys right now uh, because Plavsic isn't uh, available. And, and, and there's a couple of young guys they don't just don't quite trust enough yet. So they're mostly playing seven, eight guys right now. So I could see Memphis on one hand trying to run a bunch of guys in and out of the game and, and kind of try to wear Tennessee down. I know Tennessee's a team in great shape, but still – that's the goal. You try to wear them down. Or since it's on the road, since it's a hostile environment, the loudest building they're going to play in all year, um, do, do you think that, that Penny will kind of shorten that leash a little bit and tr- go with the guys he trusts more? 
I mean, I really think that's something that he determines once the game starts. I think once he sees the game flow and the way that's going, that's something that he determines. And I'm 100% with you. I think it could go either way because if a guy, if you, you know, if Tyler Harris is playing a lot of minutes and getting picked on uh, because of his size and the experience of the other guards, uh, then, you know, he, you could see his minutes shrink a little bit. Uh, Ryan Boyce, one of the reserve guards who's, who's played sparingly this year, but played some. Uh, just enter the transfer portal, so he won't be there. So that's another guy that's off. Um, if he feels like Isaiah Maurice is a bad matchup with John Fulkerson and then John Fulkerson can take advantage of that matchup, then you'll probably see Isaiah Maurice's minutes shrink, which is something that's that's happened pretty commonly this season. So I think it is all a part of the game flow and how it's turning out. But in my opinion, I could see him shortening the bench just because in a game like this against in a hostile environment against one of the top teams in the country, uh, I really do think you want your best players out there and your best matchups out there. I mean, just because you have decent players on the bench doesn't mean they match up well. So it's something that he's going to have to look at uh, and kind of and kind of play with as the game goes on. And it might be something we even see as a halftime adjustment. But I personally think you have to have your best players on the floor in this game. And if that means shortening the bench, then you have to do so. Got just a couple more questions here. The The first one, I guess, is it, when you look at, at sort of maybe the – the confidence level of a team going into a game like this you look at it at playing on the road in a tough environment as such a young team I don't know if Memphis did this intentionally but if they did it intentionally it was brilliant to go play a true road game at UAB just before playing this game at Tennessee uh, and I thought you know they they got down on the road there it was a hostile environment a little bit they came back and they won that's probably going to help their confidence going into Thompson Bowling but then I looked and I saw that the attendance of that game was something like 5,041 people and you know, I've been in buildings where 5,000 feels like a lot louder than that, you know, or 8,000 feels louder than that. You know, Cameron Indoor says what's up. But, I mean, it's – Thompson Bowling is 21,000, or the Tommy Bowl is 21,000, 22,000, really vertical, really loud, really in your face. Um, you know, kind of – there's not really a bad seat in the house, kind of. You can really get after people. And do you think that – these guys, do they have any kind of a confidence level going into this? Does, does the staff about how they're going to handle it, or, or do they just have to wait and see because they have no idea? Well, I mean, and it's not a road environment, but fortunately Memphis does play in the NBA arena, so they True. see they typically see sixteen to 18,000 fans in an arena uh, on any given night. And, and, that, and, and that's what Thompson Bowling looks like. When you're on the inside of it, it looks like an NBA arena with all the, with the big boards and you know all the big loud music and all the trim and everything. It looks like an NBA arena. Right, yeah, it's, it's huge, and the fans are typically, typically very loud, and it can be a hostile environment. And and like I said, it's not a road environment for Memphis, but they've seen that amount of fans, uh, so I think that won't overwhelm them. Now they have not played in an environment like this, like you mentioned. UAB was about five thousand fans. It wasn't very loud. I mean, obviously the people that were there were hyped up because UAB was winning that game by twenty points at one point. But it wasn't that atmosphere, you know. It it wasn't uh, going in on the road in a hostile environment atmosphere. Their other two, you know, neutral site games, which were road games, I mean, they were uh, in NBA arenas, which were nearly empty because they went to the Barclays Center, played against NC State on Thanksgiving Day, so there was barely anyone there. Um, and then they also played at the Moda Center in the in the Blazers arena when they played Oregon. Same thing. It wasn't there wasn't very many people there. I mean, the majority of the people that were there were Oregon fans, but it just wasn't. It didn't have that college basketball feel, you know. So. I think they're confident because they did go get a road win, and I think that was a big a big thing for this team because now you can say that you have that road win. And I think that's big for freshmen, especially like even the first home game 
I think there was a lot of jitters because they had never played college basketball before. So they got that off their shoulders and they kind of moved on from there. And I think it's a lot of the same with the road win over UAB. It's not nearly the same environment as Thompson Bowling, but it's it's a way to kind of adjust. Now you know what a true road game looks like, um, but but they have to prepare for that. I mean, they have to be ready for everything because, I mean, Tennessee's obviously going to be hyped up at this game. They've been waiting on this game for a year. Uh, they've been waiting to have this game at Thompson Bowling for a year. So it's going to be a crazy environment. It's going to be loud. Uh, they, they obviously don't like Memphis, so it's something that they're going to have to try to mentally block out and get over relatively quickly. Because if they if they fall fall down like they did against UAB, they're not going to come back against a team like Tennessee. It's just the the skill level is it, there's too much of a difference in skill level between UAB and Tennessee. Uh, and I think we even saw that last year with the Memphis Tennessee matchup. They fell down early clawed back a little bit at the end but it never really felt like they could get a hold of that game yeah and i felt and i felt like memphis played pretty well in that game too i don't think memphis played a bad game i I think memphis played pretty tough it was just it was tennessee was one of the oldest and best teams in college basketball absolutely so they they can't let that mental factor be there they can't they can't come out shocked early because it's a crazy environment they have to expect that you know because they I'm sure the coaches have told them all week, this is what to expect. And it's going to be, it's going to be in your face. It's going to be loud. You just have to ignore it and go out there and play. So as long as they can, as long as they can handle it in the beginning of the game, I think they will be fine. But if you see them fall down early by 10, 15 points by the middle of the first half, then, then they could be in trouble. Cause that's when Tennessee's fans are going to dig in and it's, it's going to be difficult to come back at that point. So it, the, I think the confidence level is high to answer your question. Uh, but they really won't know until they get punched in the mouth. Last thing, uh, do you have a uh, sort of an expectation or prediction for this game? Obviously, if you want to save it for your own site and you don't want to say it over here, that's totally understandable. But do you have a feel for this game yet? I'll tell you ahead of time that that even with Wiseman, uh, Tennessee is just really, really hard to beat in that building. I think it's 31 consecutive games, which is the longest active streak in college basketball. They just don't tend to lose there. And I don't know that Memphis, without a couple of its better players, is going to be the team that does that. I think it'll be a fun game, um, but ultimately I think Tennessee wins this game because I just think they're they're really hard to beat in that building, uh, even though they're, they're turning it over a little bit too much. Lamonte Turner's shoulder's bothering him, so his three-point shot isn't what it normally is. But I, I just kind of think Tennessee, in a neutral floor in, in the postseason, I think this would be like a toss-up game. Right now, with the way Memphis is constructed and, and coming to Knoxville, I think Tennessee's got an advantage. How do you see it? Well, I think if, if James Wiseman and Lester Quinones were playing in this game, I think this is a game that could come down to the last second. I think that's how highly contested it would be if Memphis was at, at full capacity. Uh, but with, with what they have, and not to say that they don't have a ton of talent still. Yeah, they, do. they, they, with, they still do have a ton of talent. Right, but with, with all the youth, the inexperience, they've never been in an atmosphere like this. Uh, and the and to put that on top of you know how well Tennessee plays, how well coached Tennessee is, uh, how experienced they are, uh, the fact that they know exactly what they're going to do. They have a you know, I think Rick Barnes always has a very very solid game plan going into a game, and with the experience that he has, they typically execute very well. Memphis almost has to play a perfect game to win on the road against this team, and I mean you just can't expect a, a freshman laden team to go. To a hostile environment and play a perfect game, and I and I don't at all. I, they've made their mistakes all year. Uh, it's 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 obviously gotten better as the seasons progress because that's what you expect when it's such a young team. But I don't think they have it together enough to go beat this team yet. Yeah, and I, I mean, yeah, and, and I and I think you know Tennessee's offense is one that 
if you're a young team, it's hard to kind of run that offense because they do so many cuts, so much motion, so many intricate sets. It's almost like their quarterback's throwing timing routes on some of these passes, like they're throwing to a spot, not to a man, uh, because they expect that person's going to be there. So on the road, when you're young, that offense, and I've seen this before, can kind of fall apart. Memphis does a little bit more of that drive-draw dish, a little bit of dribble-drive stuff. They they seem to don't do as much intricate stuff offensively, so that might help them in this game in terms of communication, uh, but it's still a tough place to go play. Yeah, and I think, I think it will. I think they will fall down early. I think that's exactly what is going to happen. Memphis has started slow all year. They've had very few games where they've come out of the gate hot. So I think Memphis falls falls down pretty early, uh, maybe a 10- to 12-point game at halftime. Uh, Memphis comes back a little bit in the second half, but just not enough. I don't, I don't, I don't think they can, they can get enough in the second half, enough of an advantage in the second half to come back and beat a team like Tennessee because Tennessee is built to sustain a lead. Uh, they're they're built to be methodical, and they know exactly what they're doing. So I, I do think it's a competitive game still. I do think it's a very fun game, like you mentioned. But I, I think Tennessee squeaks by – not squeaks by. I think Tennessee wins by about 7 to 10 in this one. Well, I'll tell you a couple things before we step out of here, Christian. First off, thank you for your time. And if you uh, – when you when you come to this town, you, you need to, to stop by Fort Rucker or, or somewhere around here because I owe you a beer for doing all this. And secondly, um, what give people kind of some the the four one one on your site where they can find you on social media, what y'all got going on at your site because I I know you're a one man band there, but you do a really good job covering Memphis athletics and you know you've got the new you've got the interim head coach on the podcast. I mean you're doing all kinds of cool things. Tell us what you're doing. Yeah, so uh, you can find us on the site at GoTigers247.com. You can find me on Twitter at CFowler247. You can find the site, the GoTigers247 site, on Twitter at GoTigers247. Uh, if you are interested in all, like like Wes said, we, we try to do a lot a lot of different things here recently. We have 55 episodes into our, our big podcast now. Uh, we do all, what we call it off-the-board segments where we do our interviews and stuff. We just interviewed Isaac Bruce, who's a former Memphis Tiger and oh, Super yeah. Bowl champion. Uh, and we interviewed uh, Ryan Silverfield as well, well earlier this week. So if you are a Memphis fan or are interested in Memphis sports, head over to there. Uh, we have, and I'm sure you guys do as well, we have the 50% off uh, the VIP membership until yeah. Friday. So if, you, uh, if you're if you wanting to get Memphis information, want to get over to the site, head over, you get 50% off an annual VIP membership uh, right now. And as Wes mentioned earlier, you get the CBS all, all access for for free it's a hundred dollar value for free so uh one man band um i'm cranking out as much stuff as i can we're we're working on about 30 to 35 articles a week right now with with just me and obviously you know the founder go founder of go tigers 247 brooks hansen does an incredible job uh if you ever head over to our vip boards he's always killing it over there so we try to bring as much coverage as we can and if you're interested go check it out well i appreciate your time christian very much and what we're going to do now is we're going to we're going to take a break. We're going to step away. We're going to pay some bills by listening to some some in-house ads and listening to some uh, some products and some services. And then we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's just going to be me. And I'm going to be basically uh, answering all your questions uh, from GoVoss 24-7's checkerboard. Normally, that's something that all four of us do. Uh, but because of the way this week's schedule worked out, that's just going to be me. So hope there's not too many recruiting questions because I suck at those. But uh, either way, we're going to try to answer them all. Back in a second, guys. Hashtag ad. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. 
there's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and house ads you may or may not have heard just a moment ago. As always, you're not contractually, morally, ethically, spiritually obligated to, to listen to any of those commercials. Uh, but for those who don't hit the fast forward button and who listen to them, we certainly appreciate it. Helps us at 24-7 Sports, helps us at CBS, helps us at Go Balls 24-7. And uh, you never know, this time of year, you might end up helping yourself if you do that. Wes Rucker here at Fort Rucker Studio, as always. Uh, well, not I don't want to say as always. As we always do, almost always do, at the end of the Thursday podcast, this week we're doing it at the end of the Friday podcast because we've had five pods this week and just whew, had a lot of stuff going on. We've sort of polluted your your pod feed this week, uh, but we're going to get to the questions anyway for this week. Uh, apologies in advance that it's just me, but because of scheduling reasons, that's what it is. Uh, we're going to start, go down from the bottom, and, and a quick disclaimer here. I'll answer the recruiting ones if I can, uh, but there's some of them that, honestly, we have two other guys at the side who are more qualified to answer those than I would be in Ryan and Grant. So, uh, but, but if I can answer it, I will. So we'll go down the list. We'll start with loud noises leading off. Just take that, Haynes, 62. You're batting third this week. I guess he would say that, that good hitters, the best hitters in the lineup usually hit third, but that's okay. We're going to start with loud noises. One, what's the average age of a checkerboard member? Uh, it's a fair question, loud noises. I don't know that I have the answer to it. I mean, we we have access to some information, but we're not Big Brother out there spying on you. So, so I don't know anything specific like that. I would say the average age, I don't know, maybe late 30s, maybe, because probably more kind of 40-year-olds than like 20-year-olds, I would imagine. There are a bunch of kids on the side. I mean, we got thousands and thousands of people on there. But if I had to guess, the average age might be around 40 something like that, maybe maybe late 30s to, to early 40s. That seems like it's about right. I don't know. It's hard to tell sometimes, but I think the more active posters a lot of times are, are, are of different ages. But it, my best guess would be, final answer, I'll say around 40. That's my final answer. Next question, 98 now. I'll return to my question from earlier in the year. What are your most and least favorite things about covering Tennessee football? That's a good question. I would say that, that most of it's uniformly positive i mean I, I i'm very lucky to have this job i you know like any other job there's days where you want to run your head through a wall and on days where you make a mistake there's lots and lots of people see it it's not just like your boss sees it and, and you know maybe your coworkers see it it's like the world sees it when you make a mistake so so that there's some pressure there which is good because we need to be accurate um but i would imagine that that there's some some positives and negatives and some of them are, are sort of the same thing i mean the travel is great i've gotten to see several different corners of the world covering tennessee uh, football and basketball usually in this country occasionally in another country and I've enjoyed it. Uh, there's any time you get to travel for work and business is paying for it. Personally, that's kind of enjoyable. So uh, that part of it's fun. But also, the older you get, you know, you know, I have a family now, and you know, my wife doesn't 
really love it when I'm gone a lot, but that she knows that's part of the job. She knows that's what she signed up for. Same with everybody else on the side and their spouses. And that's just, that's just the way it goes. I, you know, if, if you're going to be in this business, uh, you better not propose to someone uh, unless they fully understand what you do and the time commitments of it, because they, they probably work something like a nine to five and you never will. Uh, you will be working at night. You'll be working most weekends. Uh, it's a different kind of life. Uh, so it's more of a lifestyle really than a, than a job, but, but I love it. And there's nothing else I'd rather do. I think about other things and I'm just, ugh, I had to sit like in a cubicle filing reports and stuff. I don't know. I could maybe teach history uh, if I wasn't doing this, but, but this is always what I've wanted to do basically. And I, I love my job. So that, that's the best things about it. And then, um, in terms of the most favorite things to cover, I never get more excited than I do when like a guy becomes the first person in his family to graduate. That story always gets me. It tugs right at the heartstrings. Uh, you know, my dad was the ninth of 10 from a poor country family, and, and we ended up going to private schools. So, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff like that, that means a lot to me. I know kind of the sacrifices parents make and kids make when, when they're in athletics. And, you know, I, when you see that pay off, when you see a kid take advantage of a situation and use it to benefit himself and his family, like getting a degree, getting a job, I love that stuff. Now, do I love good kind of feel good on the field stories in terms of redemption arcs and things like that. Of course I do. Um, but that would be probably, uh, probably my favorite part of what we cover. Uh, the biggest negative, I'll be honest with you. It's kind of like, uh, it's a much, much, much less important version of being a doctor, uh, who's always on call. And I'm not trying to compare it to that because it's not m medicine. I mean, journalism is important. Good news is, is important. The world would suffer without it. Um, but people would literally die eh, sometimes without doctors. And, you know, I guess you could say in some situations, not sports, maybe news, some people could die without journalism, but uh, definitely people would die uh, without doctors. And, and so, you know, that's kind of frustrating. Like you're, you're out at like a, you know, a date night with your wife or, you know, you're, you're trying to be on like one of those kind of quiet vacations where you're still kind of working, but you hope nothing comes up and you're out of town and, and then something comes up, you know, that just, cause then, you know, you, you shoot your wife this look and she knows, and she looks at you and she gets like puppy dog, sad eyes. And it's like, sorry, you know, I, I got to go do this. Uh, and I imagine kids, the look would be even worse. So uh, when we have them, hopefully God willing one day, so that there are more positives, many more positives than negatives. Um, but you know, dealing with the fan base, if Tennessee's fans weren't passionate, I would get bored. So I, I think it's great that they care. Now, when they tell me to go, you know, fly a kite or piss up a rope or go to hell or whatever, you know, talk about, you know, that I don't really care. It, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And, you know, I look at it like personally when, when, you know, people used to hate Chris Lowe when he was on the Tennessee beat and then he left and they're like, they got to have somebody to hate now. And, some of that came to me, and that's fine. I, I don't care. I've just always kind of been honest, and uh, I happened to cover Tennessee at a time when Tennessee was losing, and uh, I'm a guy who calls things exactly what they are as I see them. Doesn't mean I'm always right, but I tell you what I see, and when Tennessee's bad, I'm going to tell you that they're bad, and people are not necessarily going to like that, and that's okay. Uh, that's, hey, the banter is what it is. It's, you know, you tell me what you think. I'll tell you what I think if I choose to respond, and it's fine. You can tell me whatever you want. If I had a thin skin, 
this would not be the right business to be in. You know, you got to have a, tell your spouse to make sure they know what's going to happen with your lifestyle and how often you're out of town and working and all those things. And make sure you have a thick enough skin to handle it because you're going to have fans tell you to go fly a kite and piss up a rope. You're going to have coaches do that to you. Maybe in some cases, some athletes, especially at the pro level, will do that to you. And, and you just, you got to go on about, it, about your business and do your job. But there's much more that I like than I don't like. So that's a kind of a long-winded answer, but... Um, I am blessed, extremely blessed. I hate it when people say hashtag blessed, but I really am blessed to do this, and I, I love this job. Uh, next question, what is your favorite Christmas movie? This is from Haynes62. Uh, I can give you three. Uh, my number one all-time, uh, Christmas Vacation. Uh, my number two all-time, probably Elf. Uh, and three is Die Hard. And if you don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, you're an idiot. I, I don't mean to be harsh, but... Die Hard's a Christmas movie. I know there's lots of debate on that. Die Hard is 100% a Christmas movie. Uh, now, what's weird in my family, we have a tradition where we started years ago. We're on Christmas Eve one year. My brother and I wanted to watch The Hangover, and my dad cracked up. He had never seen it, and that kind of started a weird tradition now where we watch either Hangover 1, 2, or 3 on Christmas Eve as a family. That's it's weird, but that's that's who we are. That's what we do. We also watch Christmas movies, and we let Mom watch some of those terrible Hallmark channel and lifetime christmas movies she wants to watch where you can you know exactly how it's going to end within the first 30 seconds of the movie but you know i digress we also watch some fun stuff in the christmas vacation and then we watch the hangover uh next question stallion vol uh he's got two questions hayne 62 versus ryan in hand-to-hand combat uh, he says he's kidding but i'll try to answer it i'm gonna guess probably hayne 62 never met him in person but ryan's not much of a physical confrontationist so uh, if hayne 62 has any kind of a any kind of a fight in him, I, I think he could take him. Uh, next question, what do you think the real chances of the, the Euro point guard uh, really playing this year if you had to bet? Uh, and do you see him as a multi-year player at UT? His film was impressive. Not to uh, correct you, Stallion Vol, but just to make sure, you, I, I imagine you're talking about Santiago Vescovi, who's actually, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he's actually uh, uh, an Uruguayan, uh, but he's been playing in Australia lately at the, the NBA Skills Academy there. So, um I know it says Euro, but maybe you meant overseas. Regardless, I think he does get in this season. I don't know when, uh, but technically he'd be eligible to play like as soon as finals end this year uh, for this semester. But he has to get through the NCAA, and they don't call it the clearinghouse anymore, but you still have to get cleared by the NCAA. So it could be mid-December, could be late December, could be even early January. Not sure exactly when it's going to be, but I would imagine uh, that he is playing. Now, how much he plays, I don't know, because Tennessee needs him. I can tell you that because you don't want Lamonte Turner. Point guards in this system have to do a lot. They got to do a lot on the ball. They got to do a lot defensively. Uh, there's a lot got kind of a mental strain on them throughout the game too. So you don't really want to be playing him 38, 39 minutes in some games. You, you want to give him more of a break, and it's easier to do that uh, if you have another option to throw out there on the backcourt because then it's a minutes game, right? You don't want to play Bowden more than 35 minutes. You don't want to play – uh, Josiah Jordan James, probably more than 30 minutes or so. You need to steal some other minutes on the ball. And a guy who could do that uh, physically is Viscovi. Now, whether he comes in and he understands the offense well enough to, to, to give you maybe just a one or two, maybe one rep or one kind of rotation each half, that'd be a good start. Um, but he's he's talented enough to do it. But I've also seen how long it takes Rick Barnes to break in some of his point guards, and he can be absolutely vicious on them uh, until they know what they're doing. He's going to ride that kid hard, uh, and I hope that kid likes to be coached because if you don't, 
sorry, kid, you, 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 you're going to the wrong place. If you'd like to be coached, Tennessee is the right place for you. So I, I think he is built that way. Most of the Euro uh, slash foreign guys are. They just have a good work ethic. They come to America for business, basically, for a reason. And, and I think he'll be one of those guys. Uh, I think he'll play some. I think he's going to be a really good player. Really good player at some point. I really, really, really like his film, and I like everything I've heard about him. Uh, but how much he'll be able to help this year, I don't know. That that I'll need to see him when he gets on campus and how he meshes with the system and everything. Next question. Um, Vol for Life 94, what is the worst Christmas or holiday present you ever received as a kid, and what was the best? Whew, that's a good question. Uh, I'll tell you, when I was in eighth grade, uh, I got – was it eighth grade? I don't remember. There's a couple that really stick out to me. One was when I was maybe in first grade or so, and I got the original Nintendo not long after it came out. That was pretty awesome uh, with Super Mario Brothers, and we we, we played the bleep out of that uh, all Christmas Day, my cousins and I, and it was awesome. That was a great Christmas present. Um, I remember uh, one year I played a lot of chess. It was good for the, good for the mind, uh, and I've always loved that game, and I got a really nice chess computer one year that I really loved. <laughs> that was a nice present. Um, sometimes I would get like a new baseball bat or glove. I really liked that stuff. Uh, the worst Christmas present I ever got, I can tell you straight off the bat, was my brother, uh, born twelve twenty five ninety five, and uh, has ruined my life pretty much ever since. I had been a, I had been kind of a, was an altar boy and served the midnight mass the night before, and went to bed. Probably got home about two, two thirty something like that. Went to bed around three. Uh, my mom's water broke at like 5 o'clock a.m. That was a long day. He ruined my Christmas, too. I didn't get to open my presents until Christmas night. I'll never forgive him for that. What's it been, 22 years later? I'm not forgiving him for that. Uh, next question, uh, Tap Room 92. If Kennedy is out, who starts at center with Johnson gone in the bowl game? Good, good question there, Tap Room 92. In fact, I took a sip of coffee before answering it. Um, I would say maybe Jerome Carvin steps in. Uh, he seems like a guy who can play that spot. He's played it before. Uh, he's practiced there. Uh, he, he gets some snaps in all the time. So he's a guy who could do that. Uh, they have options there. They, they've got other guys they rep at center. So I would look for Carvin and probably a couple others. If you play guard, there's a chance that you snap the ball a little bit and can play center. Uh, now that would be different because he's a second year guy and trying to kind of point everything out and get the line set up. He'd need help from Trey Smith to do that. But you know, that's, that's why Trey's there. Maybe he could help him out. Uh, next question, uh, five players in the 2020 recruiting class who can and will contribute immediately. Uh, this gets into the tough part for me. Let me look here. Let me look at these guys. Tell you a couple. Uh, Keyshawn Lawrence, right off the bat, is a guy I think who can help. Um, you know, if Jimmy Callaway sticks, I like his opportunity uh, to help Tennessee early on. Uh, I like Bryson Eason's chances to step in and, and help Tennessee right away. Uh, Jalen Hyde's a really, really good athlete. I like his chances to help right away. And, and then maybe I'd say a guy like uh, Mordecai McDaniel also, if he sticks with Tennessee. He's a guy who could step in and do some stuff immediately. Uh, there's a couple other big guys in that class, a couple other interesting guys, but some of the other linemen I think might take some time. Uh, you know, uh, Javantez is huge, um, and, and the kid from Texas, Miller's even bigger. But, you know, so they might need a little bit of time. But I think those four or five guys I just mentioned there of the guys who are already in the class uh, or committed now, I think those guys have a chance to step in and help e immediately. Uh, because, you know, Lawrence is a great athlete, but Tennessee's got some safeties coming back too. However, Nigel Warrior's gone, so that's a that's an open spot there for playing time. You know, is it, you know, McCullough, Theo Jackson, you know, um, 
Certainly, uh, you know, Trayvon Flowers will be back and healthy at that point. He's a good player. Um, but I think Lawrence is a guy who's physically capable of stepping in and helping. So those would be my answers to that question. I think that's my answer. I think that's my answer. I'm going to go with final answer on that. And then I'm going to record this and then realize that I should have said somebody else. Uh, let's see here. Next question. Sorry, Rocky Top. I don't know if I can answer your question about who might be the commitment nobody expects right now. That's definitely a better question for Ryan or Grant. I don't know if I'd, if I'd answer that. It'd just be a total guess, and that's not very fair to y'all. Uh, next question. Granger Mater 23 who do you think you are? Uh, I'm nobody. I, I don't even care who I am. That's my answer to that one. My family doesn't really care. My wife doesn't care. I don't care who I am. I'm just a dude, man, just like you. Next question, what gives you the right? Ooh, good question. Um, I don't know. Maybe experience in this business? I don't know. I've been doing this for a while. Maybe that gives me the right. Those are good questions, though. And as, as for who I am, uh, I am a, I'm a lover. I'm a guy who tries to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm a nice guy, believe it or not. And uh, I try, I, I do prefer animals to people, though. That's 100% true. Like, some people joke about that. The average animal, I like more than the average human being. Um, but I try to give people a benefit of the doubt. Uh, let's see here. Chase Winger, uh, who replaces Daniel Batuli? Do you think J.J. Peterson could step up or someone like Crouch more likely? Good question, uh, Chase. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they even looked maybe on the transfer market or grad transfer market for someone to step in and help it inside linebacker. And, and give that group another veteran. Uh, I might be wrong about that, but depending on how the class shakes out and what the numbers are, I wouldn't be surprised if they went out and looked for a veteran there. Uh, but if I had to guess, if the season started tomorrow and Batuli was not there, I would say my first guess is that the starting line, inside linebackers would be uh, Henry Toto and Quiveris Crouch. That would be my guess. And then I think J.J. Peterson would be in the rotation. Now, obviously, Peterson and Crouch, they're, they're going to have a battle there in the offseason for that. We'll see who wins. They might go back and forth. They might rotate. Uh, but those would be the, the two guys I would say are the most likely. Uh, Hane 62, Tennessee basketball and Memphis basketball teams, hand-to-hand combat, who wins? Uh, I'd probably say Tennessee uh, because Tennessee, if you let all the guys from both teams play, like Wiseman gets to play and then Plavsic gets to play, Plavsic is enormous. Uh, and, and not just tall, like athletic and like cut up. And he's tough, man. I've seen that guy get angry and, and it, it it's he's he's imposing when he wants to be. Uh, I've also seen Olivier Comwa get angry before and I've seen him and Plavsic kind of one day in practice they doing some rebounding drill. One of them fouled the other one too hard. They got into it for a second. And they ended up laughing about it like five like five minutes later. Um, but those two guys, I saw them get angry, and I, I wouldn't want to mess with them. And then we all know uh, Eve Pons is just an absolute rock. I've seen him get angry, I think, all of maybe one time uh, in the three years that I've been around him. And, and let me tell you, you don't – maybe it's a little bit like Hulk there. He's usually pretty nice and quiet, but uh, you don't want to get him angry because that's a, that's a lot of mammal to be fighting with. Next question. Uh, and I know Memphis has some big, strong guys too, like Achua's a, a big, strong kid. They've got a couple other guys who are big-bodied 6'10 types. Um, but Tennessee's got some of those guys too, and Tennessee's older. Tennessee also has Lamonte Turner, who's one of the most competitive people I've ever been around. He's basically Jawan Jennings level competitive, and uh, I, I wouldn't want to fight that guy. I've seen him get in some big dudes' faces before. He, he's got some honey badger in him. He don't give a bleep. Uh, next question, uh, Shelby. Well, no, no, we'll go to Volunteer Rose first. Volunteer Rose question: How tall is Jeremy Pruitt officially? That's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head, VR, but uh, I'm six foot one, kind of like right on the dot, and Pruitt's about maybe where I am. 
So somewhere around there, he's not short. He's not super tall. Um, you know, I'd, I'd put him in that six-foot range. Uh, I think the times I've stood next to him, that seems about right. Uh, next course, n- now I'll go down there to Jacksonville, and when I stand next to him, I'll, I'll have a much better idea. But I've never thought of him as short or tall. He's just kind of in that range of normal for me, so about six feet. Uh, he did play college football, played safety in Alabama. I'd say about that six-foot tall range, somewhere around there. Uh, Shelbyville Wall, what is y'all's level of friendship with writers from other networks? Is there a camaraderie there? Are there beefs? You don't have to name names, but you can if you want. I'll be honest with you, uh, Shelbyville Vol. I like most of the guys in our network a lot. Uh, some of them are, are very good friends. You know, a couple of guys who are, are, are good friends of mine who are no longer in the network. Obviously, Gentry Estes is one of my favorite people in the world who, who used to cover uh, the Georgia for, for 24-7 sports. Now he's a, a columnist at the Tennessean and does a great job, and he's one of my you know, best friends in the world, and he used to work with him, and that was that was an obvious person I really liked working with. Uh, but I like the guys, the guys at the Georgia site now, Rusty and Jake, awesome dudes, man. The BOL staff, Bama Online, uh, with Tim Watts, who's kind of a mentor for me in this business and a guy who uh, is as good as what we do as anybody in the country, you know, if not the best, he's fantastic. Uh, and his staff too, you know, Charlie Potter, all those guys. I, I really like Charlie Potter. Um, obviously, I really like Travis Ryer. He's one of the nicest people in the world. Those are good dudes. Uh, I like the guys up at the Kentucky site. Um, I really like uh, John uh, and those guys at the um, – at the South Carolina side, the Big Spur, uh, I really respect those guys, and I, I enjoy working and, and you know sharing things with them. They're usually pretty good. Uh, Thomas Goldcamp at Florida is a good guy. I like him. Uh, you know, there's different guys. I mean, heck, the guy that we just spoke with, uh, Christian Fowler, the young cat who who handles Memphis for us on our network, does a great job, a great job. And we got some guys on the West Coast too, like out at Oregon. And uh, in California, there at USC, we, we have some really good people in this network. You know, Bobby and his guys down there at Texas at Hook'em 24-7. I mean, honestly, are there a couple guys in our company I don't like? Sure. But, I mean, that there's like a few, several hundred of us, so there's always going to be a couple guys you're like, no, nah, I don't really like that guy. Um, but by and large, uh, the guys that I work with in the league are guys that I really like a lot. And uh, I really like what we're doing here. Uh, I, I really like the guys Shannon and those guys have hired, and, and they've done a great job. Our leadership it's great with Shannon and Pat and Tim and all those guys. They're they're awesome to work with, man. I, I it's one of the reasons I've been here for a decade is because they take care of their people. If you work hard for them, they'll they'll work for you. I, I really like I really like them. Uh, I think maybe the final question here. Actually, there's one from Shelby Vall, another one about Justin Rogers when he committed to Kentucky. Thought his recruitment was far from over, but I'm not seen mention of him in months that's a good question a better question for ryan or grant i'll see if i can get either one of them to answer it but yeah uh that thing bounced all over the place and i didn't i i thought he would keep kind of keep bouncing around but maybe not we'll see uh final question woody 12 uh he answered a couple asked a couple will we be seeing some balled up fists on saturday Uh, i would say there's a pretty decent chance of that tennessee and memphis do not like each other I don't know if they're going to ball up fists, but there's going to be some some refs having to separate it. And I'll tell you right now, I don't know which ref crew has the assignment for that game, but it better be a veteran crew and a crew who will step in and keep control of that game early. Because if they let that game go, uh, it, it could get pretty physical and, and pretty nasty. So I, I would think you might want to have a ref in there who's kind of calling some touch fouls early, making sure there's no BS. That's That's what I would do. Uh, and then he had a question about how many recruits signed the early signing period and all that. Uh, that's a good question. I'm going to leave that also for Ryan and Grant, but 
Tennessee's not going to sign everybody in the early signing period. They're going to want to have some flexibility going into the, the, the traditional national signing day. And they got a couple kids who are commitments but may not sign until national signing day. So you definitely need to leave some spots open because what if one of those kids bails on you or what? You know, I mean, you, you, you need to keep options open because there are going to be some big fish out there, you know, still in January. So I would imagine that, that they'll sign a lot of guys uh, in the signing period, the early one, but but not everybody because they're going to need to leave some spots open. So that'd be my thoughts on all of that. I tried to keep this as short as I could because I know we were kind of going overboard on this segment. So tried to get to all those. As always, we'll, we'll be back with those Thursday next week. We'll, we'll try to be back on a, on a better routine with all that so we can we can do all that for you. Thanks for tuning in, guys. As always, you can find all of us on social media. I'm West Rucker 24-7. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey. Patrick Brown's P. Brown 24-7. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7. If you want to go get Just Tennessee News on Facebook and social media or in, in Twitter and you don't want to, any of these personal things that any of us post throughout the day, you can get that at facebook.com slash govoss247 and twitter.com slash govoss247. All of us kind of run the, the site's Twitter account, but Ramey's the main guy doing the Facebook page, and he does an awesome job with all of that stuff. Or if you want to get your water directly from the source, just directly from the source, pure, delicious East Tennessee Mountain Spring water, go to govoss247.com until the end of this day. Uh, this is this day being Friday, December 13th, I believe, or December 12th. Yeah, yeah, Friday, December 13th. You can get... Uh, 50% off for an annual subscription. And as I've always said, you get free access to CBS All Access if you are a paying member of GoVoss 24-7. So do that for the holidays. I've already told you that, but I'm going to tell you again. Get yourself a GoVoss 24-7 subscription. Get half off of that. Boom. And then give somebody else the CBS All Access for, for you know, you got like a mother-in-law or, you know, you know in-laws or some people that you you know cousin that you drew like in the family raffle thing and you got to give them a, a present and you don't really know what to get them get them that there's all kinds of stuff on cbs all access it's commercial free great stuff go do that i'm trying to help you here i'm trying to help you be the best version of yourself and i really hope that you take advantage of that and if not uh i'll just keep trying i guess but i have faith in you that you'll do the right thing Go do that. And if nothing else happens, guys, nothing crazy, we will see y'all probably on Monday morning. Maybe before that, but at the latest, you'll hear from us by Monday morning. See you.